your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope, brought to you by the Sensory Learning Center with host and mother of a recovering child with autism, Betsy Hicks. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Betsy and her guests illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Betsy Hicks. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope. I am your host, Betsy Hicks, and today's show, gratefully, is being sponsored by the Sensory Learning Center in Lebanon, Ohio. To get more information on them, you can go to sensorylearning-lebanon.com. Thank you very much for them for sponsoring our show today. And it is a great show because we have a wonderful man who I was lucky to meet and get to have a great conversation with at the Autism One conference this last Memorial Day weekend. His name is Stan Kurtz, and he is a dad to four-and-a-half-year-old Ethan who recovered from an autism diagnosis. Stan recovered himself from ADHD and irritable bowel syndrome while he was working on therapies for his son. Stan is presented at the Defeat Autism Now conference, the Dan conference, and he is the first non-MD PhD RN parent to present at the Dan Think Tank. He also contributes to the Dan Physicians and Nurses Training, and he was the first person to make methylcobalamin B12 into a nasal spray. And that's not the end of his many talents. Stan has also published 26 recovery videos, including a groundbreaking video of a 23-year-old ADD attached to an EEG showing a lack of brainwave synchronicity that recovers in five minutes after taking methylcobalamin B12 nasal spray. I'm looking forward to talking to him about that. Stan, most admirably in my eyes, is the owner of the Children's Corner School in Van Nuys, California, a unique school that includes special needs children in the classroom and focuses on research and health as being a foundation for child development. Stan, welcome, and thank you for being on the show today. I'm happy to be here, Betsy. It's very hard to know where to start with you because you have so many cool things that you do. But I have to say, one of the first things that I was very happy to hear you say publicly, as well as what um, attracted me to have you as a host, was your publicness about being recovered from ADHD yourself. Mm. And I have been very public about that for myself for many years, um, and how, um, how much ADHD destroyed my self-esteem and all the, all the many things it did to make me feel bad about myself for so many years. And so many of these parents truly are on the spectrum. Um, and it, it's not to be, uh, be something to be ashamed of. It's more of something that if you're understanding of it, then you know that you're not stupid, you're not slow, you're not a hyper. It's, this is part of what, what you're dealing with. Do you find that many parents, are aware of the fact that they have ADD or ADHD? Well, I, I think subconsciously most of us knew that, uh, that there was something different. Um, consciously, uh, I think some people know. Um, I guess it's, it's one of those things where, you know, listen, you, if you're talking about parents of children that are affected, there's these degrees of awareness. 
you know, the first thing you have to allow yourself to be aware of and accept is that your your, your child is affected. Right. You know, and that's a that's a big deal to begin with. And then, you know, once you sort of, um, you know, accept that and put that inside and, and, and process that and start dealing with it, the next thing is to really think about yourself. And if you look at the nature of parents, specifically parents with autism, is that they are givers and that they are hyper-focused. They perseverate on their, their children <laughs> uh, as well as they should, and, 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 you know, God bless us all for that. Perseverate is a good word. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's, it's that's true. And, and of, of, you know, they don't stop to look at themselves because they, they, they want to focus on their child, and, they, and, and I totally understand that, and I did the exact same thing. And it wasn't until a bit of a slap in the face when I was reading materials about autism and sort of turned the page uh, of a book that I was reading in the middle of the night one night and started reading through the specific symptoms of ADHD where it, where it hit me. And I was in a place, I guess, willing to accept it because, of course, I'm reading through materials and struggling with uh, learning all this that it was then that I said, okay, you know, there's obviously something that I, that I need to improve in myself and these symptoms are obviously me and things that I've been struggling with my entire life. So I think that that, I guess I'm describing it that way because there needs to be a bit of an event that, that awakens you and a desire to want to improve yourself. Um, when, you know, these parents, a lot of times their first priority is to improve their children and they don't necessarily include getting themselves healthy. So I think there's a lot of people affected, to your point, a lot of parents. We see it at least in one of the parents. A lot of times in both to one degree. Sometimes one's a little ADD-ish and the other's a little OCD-ish. But, you know, forget how you describe it. Usually they're affected in some way. And um, some are aware of it and take care of themselves. But I would like, uh, you know, in, in my mind, I think if we help to raise awareness and give people very simple options, wouldn't it be great if we can help uh, these parents so that they, in turn, can help their kids? Very good. Can you tell me a little bit about your son? Tell me about... Um his his path and, and what you have done to improve the quality of his life. Well, he you know he started off. He was a kid with uh, that he was born with jaundice. He had late milestones the first twelve years. Excuse me, the first twelve months of life. Mm-hmm. He did point, wave, had some words and sounds. I have him on video repeating "Wow" when he was six months old. Six months old with great eye contact with uh, with my wife. Um, you know, he, he was affected, but he was still very functional. And it wasn't until after uh, about 12 months when he really started sliding off and then he lost his, uh, his skills and his eye contact and, and, uh, and, and fell into what was diagnosed originally as uh, pervasive development disorder. And then uh, later with uh, autism at three years old, um, he started doing speech and occupational uh, physical therapies and also floor time. That's where we kind of started with regional center. And those things helped him. Um, you know, the first speech ther- therapist we had said he was too autistic to learn. We then threw her out, went to another agency, um, an agency called Hand in Hand Child Development Center, which is in Encino, which I fell in love with. And, uh, and, I, and they did a, a wonderful job getting him to speak using um, speech therapies and occupational therapies together because he was one of those sensory integration affected kids, one of the kids that, that had sensory issues along with everything else. And, um, and those two therapies together helped him to speak and start to progress. And, and if we just would have stuck with the external therapies, the ones that 
you know, the, the developmental pediatrician and our regular pediatrician said that these are the only things you should do. If we would have just stuck with those external therapies, you probably would have landed at a, a high-functioning autistic um, category. Okay. You know, all, at the end of the day, all said and done. But, it, you know, it was shortly after he turned three when I had finished, uh, I guess, about nine months of research in, in biological interventions, you know, full-body systemic interventions where you were using, uh, you know, where you were using vitamins and supplements and diet and, and, and antivirals and things that, that we ended up using for Ethan that saved him, that really took him totally off the, the spectrum. And specifically, diet was great. You know, we start off uh, with a diet, you know, called gluten casein-free where you're taking out milk and wheat. And those proteins are really, as I've learned over time, really horrible and affecting so many children. Having a school, so many children are having trouble with milk and wheat. And when you see persistent issues, we pull those out and kids get much better. What Same about you, Stan? Stan, do you do, you do any of a gluten and casein-free diet yourself? Yeah, I do. I do. I mean, I, I, now I'm healthy enough where I can, you know, I can have infractions if I'm out having dinner someplace and if I have something that has a little something in it, it's not such a big deal. But for the most part, I'm pretty strict on, on my diet, on things that would set off my immune system or foods that also right. feed bacteria and fungus. Right, right. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was just curious about that. So, so you got him on the diet. Got him on the diet. That, that started uh, working really nicely for him. Um, but then he also plateaued from the diet and, and actually started to, to go backwards. And we realized that he had more going on than just the, the gluten and casein issue. Um, typically when people go on that diet, they add rice milk and they replace that with regular milk. Regular milk, we shouldn't be drinking. those. That's really for cows, what we call regular milk, cow's milk, is really for cows and cow's intestines and cow's immune systems. And when you learn that, you switch off to, to rice milk because we're programmed for generations to drink some milk. You know, milk is important, supposedly. Mm-hmm. So we switched to rice milk, and the rice milk was actually feeding clostridia. You know, we, we did uh, what's called an oats test, an organic acid test, and it showed up that he had lots of clostridia. And, of course, this is a test that the mainstream doesn't really use. So uh, this mistake is probably very common, and people get caught up or think that, that the diet isn't working. And then when we learned that, we took out the, the rice and the complex carbohydrates, the clump, complex protein foods, which are the pastas and the, the rice and, and, and foods that are sort of in that category. So we broke it down to, to meats and vegetables and, um, and fruits like pears and peeled apples, apple peel, I've found actually creates a lot of fungus and bacteria and actually can create these little micro uh, cuts in the intestines which cause more inflammation and perpetuate the problem. Um, so we started doing some, some juicing with, you know, vegetables and, and fruit as well. And he did phenomenal with that diet. And today he's actually still on that diet, and that's probably really the last of his interventions right now. I just keep him on that diet just to, uh, to be safe at this point. I'm, you know, it works so well, I'm afraid to walk away from that. Um, and then we, we did certain vitamins and supplements and digestive enzymes based on what his organic acid test told us, which is, you know, that test, again, just, it, not only does it tell you what bacteria and fungus you may have, but it also tells you specific nutritional issues. Uh, it talks about your energy systems, and it shows certain uh, deficiencies that your child may have that you should focus on. It gives you a bit of a roadmap, in my opinion, to get started with. And those things that it, you know, that it said to do made sense and started working. 
And, and then the next step, because some of his tests showed that he looked like a mercury-toxic child, was to do metals detox, or what's known as chelation. And, uh, and I was already doing everything on myself that I was doing on my son, which is one of the reasons why I ended up recovering. I didn't do it for that purpose, but that's what ended up happening. I was just trying to figure out what things would have what side effect and how is my child feeling and so I could understand and empathize with it better. But, you know, as, as it turned out when I tried uh, DMSA, which is a, a metals detoxing agent to take out some of these heavy metals that we find stuck in these kids, uh, I felt terrible. It was it was like one of my worst days ever, and I I, I stopped and said, okay, I'm not going to try that on my son right now. Let me try. Let me look at some less invasive things. And uh, through research and networking, uh, one of the things I started looking at was antiviral therapies. Great. Now I'm going to stop you right there, yeah. Sam, because we're going to go to break. Okay. When we come back, let's talk a little bit about these antiviral therapies as well as the B12. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I want to talk more about, finish talking a little bit more about your son and, and all of the incredible improvements. And we'll be heading on to talk about the school in a little bit as well, too. Um, don't go away, everyone. We'll be right back in just a, a few minutes with Stan Kurt. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute. And the main issue, to sum everything up, is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper, who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies. And we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me. The goal and focus of the Sensory Learning Program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. To create a kind and gentle world, a change in thought patterns and beliefs, individually and collectively, is needed. Join Suze Casey, developer of Belief Repattering, and her guest as they explore questions and conversations that push the boundaries and engage with you in the process of being who we really are and creating what we really want in our lives. What Do You Want Instead invites you to join the conversation every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. What Do You Want Instead supports you in honoring and accepting yourself and making the decisions that create the lifestyle you desire and deserve. Hi, this is Mark Victor Hansen. You know me for Chicken Soup for the Soul, the One Minute Millionaire, and Cracking the Millionaire Code. And what I want you to know is that if you want to have rip-roaringly good health, listen to Health Crusades by my friend John Farley. Tune in to Health Crusades with John Farley every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, only on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. 
Now back to the program. Here's Betsy. Thank you, and welcome back. We are talking with Stan Kurtz, who is a dad to four-and-a-half-year-old Ethan, who has recovered from an autism diagnosis. And we are talking about Ethan's wonderful path and how Stan has worked from it. And it probably didn't seem very wonderful at the time, Stan. You went through a lot of suffering at that time. So I want to let it uh, pick up where we were off, because we, we started talking about the diet, and then we moved into... What had happened, uh, that chelation just wasn't the thing for him, but then going into what was the next big thing that did work for Ethan. Right. Yes, and when, when you said that there was pain, there was a lot of pain. Right. It's, it's kind of, um, before I get started on that, you know, it's, I, I feel, really feel for the parents, I, you know, because you're under so much stress because you see your, your, your child is, is ill um, and is struggling. And it's really it's hard to be open enough to to make a decision on what to do a lot of times. And you hear all this information from all these different places, and it's very overwhelming. And, and, and one of the things that we know about regular doctors is that they, they have a practice that they spend so many hours a day doing. And we can't expect them to know all about autism. Uh, and I've certainly learned that because I've spent my days on end researching and researching and researching, and I don't know everything. You know, I only know a piece of the, of the puzzle. Right. Um, and I just feel really bad for, for the parents in the beginning when it's so overwhelming to get the diagnosis. And then you're, you're, there's so much, well, thankfully there's so much information, but it's very overwhelming. And to, and to be sort of open-minded enough to read your child and to trust yourself and to figure out what directions to go and what's working for your, for your child is very... I think it's, it's probably the biggest challenge in getting started. Yeah, you know, Stan, it's interesting because even if you go with a doctor that has done a lot of research, that you trust a lot, who has the best of intentions, you still have to keep in mind that every child is so tremendously unique mm-hmm. and that even if this doctor has, quote-unquote, cured or recovered of autism of so many children... That doesn't mean that doesn't mean that that's going to necessarily work for your child. So it's not. I mean, you have the challenge of the doctor. Then you have the challenge that the doctor has of your own unique situation because these kids, not one single one is alike. That's right. And that's what makes the challenge just. It's it's you know it's it's not like a disease that you, okay we found this one thing that cures it. Right. We're looking at. It's so multifaceted as to all the different problems that that either the heavy metal, that the environment, whatever it may be, has caused. Yeah, and it, it's not that uncommon in disease models that we have today as well. I mean, if you look at, you know, we know that cancer right. is so different, you know, for every person and that there are probably hundreds of different types of cancers, and I think autism is, is, uh, is, is really the same way. And what I tell... Uh, when I tell parents is, you know, you need to look at doctors or any information research source as a therapy that's worth a trial. You know, you decide to do it as a trial, uh, and if it works or doesn't work, uh, measure it and then make a decision. So, in, in other words, any information res- resource. Well, for, first off, stepping back, what I generally do when I look at information is see where it's coming from. Uh, I had to make a decision early on, a 
about my pediatrician, my developmental pediatrician, that they were specialists in their own little place and that they had their value, but they weren't autism specialists. The same way that if you go to your pediatrician and your child did have cancer, he wouldn't be the one or she wouldn't be the one to treat your child. You would get right. referred to a specialist. So Good that point. I had to rationalize yeah. a little bit. And then the other thing is I, you see all this different information, and I had to make a decision on what to take in. And my thought process was I was going to take information from people who had recovered kids, whether they were doctors or parents or researchers, to put something together that had recovered a certain set of kids. That's the information that I'm going to take in first because that's my goal. So if someone is an expert, one of the first questions I would ask is, how many kids have you recovered? How did you do it? And did those people, those kids look like my son so that there's some sort of basis that you might be good with my son? I could try to figure out like an analysis to say, well, odds are this person might have a shot. Um, and I say that about me. Anything I, that comes out of my mouth, you know, take that in stride because what works for my child may not work for yours. And, uh, but the nice thing is if, if it's a benign therapy, a relatively benign therapy that has been known to help others, and it's something that you can try quickly and see if it works or doesn't, then treat it like a trial, I, mm-hmm. I say. So, you know, try it. If you see your child improve, great. If you don't, keep moving on, you know, whether it's me, your doctor, a researcher, a book you're reading, whatever it is. Uh, even in speech or occupational therapy, you can have right. a good speech therapist or a bad speech therapist based on what your child's needs are, a, a good school or a bad school, a good teacher or a bad teacher. It's it's the way it is in life, but yet, for some reason, we've been programmed to believe that doctors have all the information, and the next step might be that a specific, even specialist, has all the information for your child. It just doesn't work that way. I think it's a very important point. Dan, you made a really good point, and I, and I want to help you. I would like you to embellish on this a little bit more. Is It is very difficult because many of the doctors will tell the patients, well, they should be suffering for a little bit. They've got to get worse before they can get better. Mm-hmm. And in some situations, I do understand that, but, but in many of the cases, these kids deteriorate very, very quickly on protocols that are not safe for them. And they say, well, that's, that's typical at the beginning. And you said even when you started chelation, I mean, you, you felt lousy. And you have to question when you feel lousy, is that really what my body wants? Mm-hmm. I mean, even with things like you go into even things like chemotherapy, and I mean, you could you could go on to this subject forever. But right. I'd like you to just say that again because I think that that's a re- something that qu- a lot of people question. Well, I, I think that's there's two sides to this. It's a very good question. There's two sides to this. Um, there are things that that are done in autism treatment or autism healing that are counterintuitive where your child does uh, seemingly regress, and that's part of the healing process. And there are just things that are bad, you know, that for your specific child it's not working. And and, and it's challenging because, um, you know, some of the most simple therapies like vitamin C, mm-hmm. it, it turns out not to work for certain kids and make them feel bad. You know, they, they might have an oxalate problem sure. where vitamin C kicks it up and it look and your child looks worse and it doesn't get any better. Um, and it's a real simple therapy. So the, 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 the nuance to this, and, and I think this is what um, that really good doctors and, uh, and smart parents uh, become good at or, or hopefully become good at, is to figure out what's a real side effect and what is part of what I call a healing regression. 
<clears throat> and we're talk, we're about to sort of talk about antiviral therapy. And this is there's no better place that this happens than in antiviral therapy, if you ask me, because <clears throat> I, I, typical recoveries from antiviral therapy or typical children who do better with antiviral therapy, and I'm talking about kids with autism, go through what we see as a healing regression. And maybe, like in your point, that maybe I would have been better if I would have done metals detox for a period of time. Maybe not. But for some reason, my instinct said, no. Right. And, right. and it turned all, out that I'm all for that. it yeah. worked. <laughs> you know, um, maybe it would have worked if I stayed on it, but my instinct said to stop, and I couldn't do it to my child. It felt too bad. Yeah. Um, so with antiviral therapy, uh, if it works, you're going to get days of what seemingly looks like regression where your kid's autistic symptoms look worse. And it's, it's kind of a scary thing, but if you hear the stories and know what the regression sort of looks like uh, and can differentiate that from something that is actually a side effect, then you know that you're moving in the right direction. How do you do that? You're working with either a doctor that knows the therapy really well or what I love is, the, is parent groups that you sort of share your story with, with as many nuances as you can see, and other parents will chime in and say, you know, that happened to me before my child got better. Or, you know, oh, that happened to me and, you know, my child didn't get better. And you, and you get feedback with the specifics of what's going on with your child because the nuances really, I think, tell the story. For example, in antiviral therapy, um, my son's uh, behavior was worse. His eye contact was worse. His um, uh, perseveration was worse. His, um, he, you know, he was lethargic sometimes, hyper, and other times. But at the same time, he was doing these developmental things that we hadn't seen before, little tiny things. I had one uh, woman who um, actually I used in, in um, uh, the last Autism One presentation uh, who wrote to me right before that presentation and said, my child was tantruming, was hitting us during this therapy, but we noticed that he was looking us in the eye, and he had never looked us in the eye before. So it was a, this, little, this little thing that never happened before. And, uh, and it was 10 days later, the symptoms, the major symptoms of autism, greatly decreased, and the child, in, in mom's words, were something like, you know, was a neurotypical child with speech delay at that point. You know, there's no pill or therapy for speech. We can open up the brain, but we can't necessarily put the information in there right away. Right. Um, and so there are nuances that tell us that something might be working, in my opinion. Um, and that's what you sort of look for specifically with antiviral therapy. Now, you can do antiviral therapy with our kids, and sometimes yeast becomes an issue for some reason. There's a very interesting nuance about antiviral therapy that's, that we're just shedding light on now, that... You, you're, you're killing off, seemingly killing off viruses, and yet these yeast flares happen to kids that never had yeast flares before. But doesn't it doesn't it disrupt the flora when you're killing when you're using the antivirals? Well, that's a good question. Why would it actually disrupt flora if you're going after viruses? In other words, why? And, and just you know, speaking simply, why would bacteria and fungus be affected by the presence or lack of presence? of antiviral therapy, and not just with Valtrex, because if you say the med might be causing a flora issue, if you use olive leaf extract and put it in, we're seeing the same results. If you use uh, laracidin and put that in, a natural, and put that in, we're seeing the same type of symptoms. 
So there's some synergistic relationship between the presence of viruses, possibly the presence of viruses, because the, the antiviral therapy may be doing something else that we don't realize. But let's just say the presence of viruses in these kids and their bacterial and fungal issues. And if you put an antiviral in and you don't worry about fungus or bacteria, you see a regression, and that regression could, could look like hyperactivity, but you'll, you'll generally see little symptoms like uh, darkness under the, the eyes, red cheeks, um, stool changes that will lead you to believe that it's a real fungal issue. And to your point, this is an issue that should be taken care of, should be worked on, rather than just a regression that you live through. And that's a little bit of a nuance of antiviral therapy. But, you know, do, do, are we changing flora? We are actually changing flora, but people don't quite know why. The researchers don't know why, because if you're reducing viral levels um, and you're using, let's say, olive leaf extract, which is an antimicrobial as well, why is it that these kids have these major fungal flares? And that's something that we're, we're researching right now, we're going to learn right now, and I think that has a little bit to do with the origins of what autism is for for some kids, because this is a nuance that is not in other communities when you're doing autism treatment. Okay, good. We'll be right back with Stan Kurtz. We'll be talking next about the methylcobalamin B12 spray. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute, and the main issue to sum everything up is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper, who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies, and we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me. The goal and focus of the Sensory Learning Program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. The pressures to be thin or ideal go beyond the Hollywood headlines. In fact, those suffering from eating disorders in the U.S. number in the millions, and eating disorders such as anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, and binge eating are more common than Alzheimer's disease. Eating disorders affect men, women, adolescents, as well as young children. On Understanding Eating Disorders, Dr. Tom Scales, an internist and psychiatrist, uncovers the causes and characteristics of various eating disorders and shares his expertise on current treatment approaches. Expert guests and personal stories from some who have recovered reveal the depth of emotional conflicts of these dangerously obsessive conditions and the resolutions that work. Tune in to Understanding Eating Disorders with Dr. Tom Scales every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Understanding Eating Disorders, the cycle of eating disorders, can be broken. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. 
If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Betsy. We're back here with Stan Kurtz talking about his son, Ethan, and the wonderful path that he has taken to help recover him from the diagnosis of autism. We have talked about many different pieces today, but I really want to hit the Methylcobalamin B12 nasal spray because, first of all, let's talk about cyanocobalamin versus methylcobalamin and, and how important that is when people are hearing B12, B12, B12. Can you explain a little bit about why, just, just how much more important it is to use methylcobalamin versus cyanocobalamin? <laughs> it's not your father's B12. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> um, there's really five, twi- five types of B12. And for some reason, uh, probably a good reason, we've, we've been educated about B12 as being cyanocobalamin, or, or at least it's always been uh, cyanocobalamin. And um, it's one of the active types of B12, and it works for many people, especially with pernicious anemia, which is you know, a, a condition that, that uh, many folks deal with. Um, but methylcobalamin is a sleeper of a B vitamin. Um, it's amazing, and so few people know about it. It is a, neurally a, 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 neurological, a neurologically active uh, B12, meaning that uh, your, your whole nervous system responds to it. It is used in um, replication of your neurotransmitters. It is, uh, it, it's actually used for your replication of your, your DNA. It helps you directly produce uh, digestive enzymes. And it is apparently deficient in many of us in a way where a process called methylation, which supplies our body with most of our chemicals, is impaired with this, or without it, I should say. There's a lack of, of methyl B12 because uh, of some genetic, uh, sometimes genetic issues and a combination of that with environmental issues that make it so that we are not able to digest it very well. So you we, know, Stan, I got I to make a note of that because yeah. I just got back from genetic testing. I did some genetic testing on myself, and I just found out that I'm, I'm null of making... I mean, I, I, mean, I, I really, for, for methylation, I like have both uh, genes that say... To my body, um, I'm going to have a hard time with methylation forever. And right. so you can, people can have that tested. That is a huge piece of my ADHD. Right. And, well, there you go. So for people who really want to prove their ADHD, you can get genetic testing to find that out. Right. Well, there's a lot of ways, actually, to prove ADHD. Um, but I, you know, and as I've learned through the process of, of using methylcobalamin for myself, and then starting to educate other folks and seeing how many people do well with it, it's, it's surprising. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not even just ADHD. It's a lot of chronic illness as well. Um, we see it work for folks with ADHD, with chronic fatigue. Depression. With, and with Depression, exactly. Yeah, well, depression is an interesting thing that you said because if you do an EEG scan, which we did recently, and you mentioned that video that we published, that shows a kid with ADHD, 23-year-old, actually a young man with ADHD, and you can see the lack of synchronization from the frontal lobe and the occipital lobe of the brain. You can actually see it right on the screen. Right. And that profile is 
you know, you can't say that that's ADHD. What you do, when somebody looks at it, they say, well, that could be ADHD. It could also be chronic depression. They look almost identical. And, and they can't figure out which is which. You actually have to ask the person, what are you suffering from? We know it's something. Um, well, with that particular person, when we gave them methylcobalamin, within minutes, those, those brainwaves changed. And we uh-huh. videoed it. We didn't know it was going to happen so quickly. We didn't know what to expect. And the person that did the test, the Ph.D. that was overseeing it, had not met me until the day before. So I certainly had no bias about this working or not. Uh, and, uh, and, and you could just see his face and how surprised he was, and it's all documented. And because we've, we've found that and we've been able to demonstrate it in a way that's so visual and so mainstream-like, um, UCLA is, is, uh, is doing a pilot study on, on the nasal spray that we developed specifically in, in, uh, you know, in, in the use of treatment for ADHD to see if it actually helps these people, which I, I'm convinced a portion of them will respond. Um, so well, two, two little comments. One is you could get genetic testing. You could get an EEG. But in reality, this is something that if this works for you, you'll notice it generally in minutes. So if I was to, you know, to come to you, have you tried it at all? Uh, the spray or, uh, no, I, I do it through injection. Okay, so you do sub-Q injection. Mm-hmm. Do you feel better? Oh, yeah. Okay. But see, but see yeah. the thing is, is I have to be careful. You know, it's, it's the mix of the folinic acid, right. the DMG that oh. has to all kind of coincide. You, you and I'll nice tell you cocktail. what, there, I, this is important too, Stan, that yeah. when I first started to get into a more holistic protocol, at least for myself, uh-huh. I, I couldn't handle it then. Right. You know, my, my body detox was so tremendously shut down uh-huh. that if you tried to give me B12, I would have gotten so hyper and agitated, mm-hmm. I would have gone nuts. Right. I needed to get my detox flowing a little bit better before I could handle B12. Mm-hmm. No, and, and we see that, especially with the use of folinic acid. Um, we, we see that a lot. And sometimes you have to start slow, and sometimes you have to restart after you do other therapies. But the best way, in my opinion, I think genetics will tell us a little bit of a roadmap on what to try first or second, or it gives us some influence on what to guess to try first, because it's not the end-all, do-all. We don't know all the pathways well enough genetically yet, but it, it's helpful. Mm-hmm. What I tell people is, my advice is, do a trial. And if you feel hyper and, you know, or it's working negatively, try something else. You know, again, you know, like you did, do other things first and come back. But if you take it, and have an experience like, you know, maybe half the people have where they go, wow, I feel clear. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, my you... vision's actually changed. You know, people talk about colors being more vibrant and being able to hear things and process things differently. And if that happens for you, then, okay, great, you're on the right path. Let's talk about the spray, um, your choice of doing the spray. Right, you do the sub-Q shots. Why the spray? Well, because shots hurt, but, but, but the <laughs> shots do get right to the point real quickly. <laughs> Literally. I do, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they do. Uh, um, but, uh, but I also know that a lot of kids orally, I mean, we've got, gut, we've got all kinds of gut situations, and sure. so I know orally that's not necessarily a good choice as well. Right, and the pathway that actually brings the stuff out of the gut can also be impaired. And genetically, like if you're genetically impaired, like you're mentioning, that, that you found out that you were, um, it makes it difficult to process it once you bring it in. Um, the, you know, sub-Q shots were the best thing, and, and they are the best thing for some folks. Um, the, you know, Jim Newbrander's work has been phenomenal, and, uh, and, and, you know, I'm a fan of sub-Q shots. That's what actually I tried to begin with. 
the, the way I got to nasal spray was I was looking for something else and trying to understand why would sub-Q shots work and intramuscular not work uh, very well. Why would uh, oral and sublingual not work at all? So these questions were bothering me for a while because uh, I wasn't a big. I was doing the shots at the time when I when I was going to try to spray because I'm such a great responder to the shots. It was very easy for me to try different types of methacobalamin to see what would work and what didn't. And at the time, people were telling me sublingual was so wonderful, and I was doing bottles of sublingual. I couldn't get a result. So um, I was at the Autism Research Institute one day with uh, with uh, Dr. Bernie Rimlin and Dr. Steve Edelson, and we're sitting around talking about this. And um, Dr. Rimlin mentioned uh, a product, an actual cyanocobalamin product that was a nasal gel that he remembered from like 20 years before, and he pulled out a box of it that he had. Wow. The company had been out of business for you know, 10, 15 years. I don't know if you've ever been to this. expired. Yeah, he's, unbelie- <laughs> he's, he's unbelievable. He goes in the back, disappears for like five minutes, he hears some noise back there, and he comes back with, here's a box of it, you know. And the thing was like falling apart. It was, you know, <laughs> it was, you, know you, you open it, all the, the bottles were like exploded. But the, um, the literature was on the back. You could see they did a study on, uh, on the spray versus sublingual and oral, and they said that the spray worked ten times better. And I said, okay, well, that's worth looking into. Let's check that out. And in looking at the, the, medical, re- the medical literature, I found that uh, the nasal passage for hydroxycobalamin was as efficient as intravenous, intravenous, directly into the veins. Um, they were actually doing a study to see if it worked better than intravenous, and they found that we can't say it works better, but it works, as equal, it works only equally well as intravenous. And I thought, oh, my God. And then if you think about it, the nasal passage <clears throat> is known to work very well with a lot of different drugs. And I said, okay, well, this is certainly worthwhile to give this a shot. And we, and we had some made at a, at a pharmacy at uh, Coastal Compounding in Savannah. Uh, it was made into a nasal spray for me. And as soon as I took it, I knew it was working great. And for me, what I had learned in the long run, long story short, is that for me it worked better. And I was on the shots for a year straight, and then I started taking the spray. And, and by the way, if I missed a shot, I knew it. You know, the next day, if I, if I didn't have a shot in me and I was driving along, I could see visually the difference. Mm-hmm. So when I, tried to, when I was doing the nasal spray and I'd miss a day, I still felt okay. And then after a while, I started spreading it out, and I could tell, like, what, when I was running out in my body. So then I went to every other day, and then I was every third day. <clears throat> and now I only take it when I can't remember somebody's name, because that, that's kind of one of my... <clears throat> Sorry, one of my one of my key uh, ADHD traits is I can't remember anybody's name. I'll make sure and introduce myself. <laughs> no, I know you're busy. <laughs> but but if I was talking about you, let's say a month from now, if I'm talking about this interview, and I go, yeah, I was on the radio with, uh, oh, and it's right on the tip of your tongue, it, then I know I need a spray, and then I spray myself, and I'm clear again. So I only do it when I need it now, and I tell everybody, just do as little as you need. There's no reason to put anything extra in your body anyway. So for me, I take it like maybe three times a month now, and I'm, I'm just as clear. So it's really interesting, and I think the more you get your diet uh, in place and the more you do um, you know, regular detox and you get your bacterial and fungal levels to an appropriate level in your gut, the less and less you need. Um, if I drink milk, I was, I was doing a challenge one time with milk and, 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 the, and the shots at the time, so I could drink as much milk as I wanted to, but I'd have to increase my dosage of methylcobalamin. Um, on methylcobalamin, I couldn't be affected by alcohol. A mom took me out one time for sushi for helping out their, you know, their family. They had a child did real well, 
and she was giving me sake. Nothing happened because I had methical bowelman in me, and and, um, and uh, Dr. Deeth explained why that is: is that you know, as uh, that the, the methylation process will actually block the effects of of, of alcohol. Really? Yeah. Well, wow. so, so it's interesting. It's 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 been a process of going from what works best, or, or going for what works best for whom, because. The shots may work best for you. The spray might work best for me. Some, some people, it works best for both. It's one of those things, again, it goes back to just doing a trial. Try it. See what works best for you. I'm not saying it works best for everyone, but just try it. See if it works best for you sure. and go from there. Great. When we get back, we'll be uh, talking about Stan's school. And so we'll be right back with Stan Kurtz, the designated driver. <laughs> Don't go away. We'll be right back. <laughs> Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute, and the main issue to sum everything up is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper, who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies, and we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me. The goal and focus of the sensory learning program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. The Men's Health and Lifestyle Show with Dr. Philip Worthman explores in-depth topics of concern to men of all ages regarding their health and lifestyle in an informative and provocative way. This show is the user's manual for men, a detailed and unedited guide to male physiology. Dr. Worthman, a recognized authority in men's health and male fertility, and his expert guests stimulate informative discussions and debates in a serious yet entertaining way, from explaining how or why the male body works as it does, to dispelling myths and misconceptions about men's health and sexuality. Dr. Worthman covers and uncovers it all. The Men's Health and Lifestyle Show broadcasts each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. The Men's Health and Lifestyle Show, teaching men what they need to know to live healthy, happy, and productive lives. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Betsy. We're back here with Stan Kurtz, and we have a caller. Lisa, welcome to the show. What is your question for Stan? Hi. Um, I'd like to know about how you can get this methacobalin. I'd like to know how to spell it so I can um, spell <laughs> That's a good question. Between the two of us, I think one of us may be. <laughs> And it may not be me. No, go ahead. Um, well, methylcobalamin, which is methyl, M-E-T-H-Y-L, methyl. Okay. Uh, it's all one word. Cobalamin, C-O-B-A-L-A-M-I-N. A-M-I-N. Okay. Yeah, I had to think about that twice. Yeah. And uh, the place, there's lots of places to get 
methylcobalamin, uh, nasal spray. And they're usually the, the compound pharmacies that are very friendly uh, towards autism, ones that have focused on autism and, uh, and chronic illness. Um, I use uh, a lot coastal compounding, which is in Savannah, Georgia, uh, it's a 912 area code. I don't know the rest, but if you go to coastalcompounding.com and um, and you'll you'll have the information. You can call them directly, and and they can tell you they do it. They do a ton of it. Okay. Um, and the important point too is that I don't uh, methylcobalamin. I, I'm sort of promoting it. And I talk about it. I don't make any money from it. I don't sell it. I just tell people about it and educate. I don't make any money, zero at all, on anything that I talk about. So um, when you go to the pharmacies, they're just gonna you know, they'll they'll sell it to you, and and you you go about your your business, but there's not a check that's cut for me. So just you know, just know that that's not the underlying reason that I talk about it. And we should go to a doctor for this. Yeah, you're going to need a prescription because okay. anything you have made at a pharmacy requires a prescription. Okay. Um, on my uh, my website, I have information about the typical doses that people talk about in my. I've got a um, a parent group that's got about almost a thousand people in it that talk about their experiences with methylcobalamin nasal spray and, uh, and what doses they use, et cetera. So the, the easiest place to go to to learn more is www.recoveryvideos.com. And in the Recovery Videos website, the first link gets you into our parent group. We have a lot of information about what the, what the dosage is and, and how to go about ordering it, that type of thing. And you can ask questions about it and you can share your experiences and you can read about hundreds of people that have done this before you and what they experienced as well. For you, Lisa, and for all the listeners out there, um, Stan told me this when I met him last time, and he was right. You just do a nice little Google search on Stan's name, S-T-A-N, and then K-U-R-T-Z, and he is just Googled to death. So you can find lots of information about what Stan's talking about, a lot of his support groups, uh, all the different things that he talks about, um, real simply, when you just do a search on his name. Um, Stan, thank you, Lisa, very much for calling. I appreciate that. Um, Stan, we have very little time left, and I've got to talk about your school. Sure. Um, please, in <laughs> very few minutes. Um, first off, before, uh, if anybody wants to look on their web page while they're, since we know they're on their internet right now, can you give us the school's web address? It's childrenscornerschool.com. All one word, of course. Childrenscornerschool.com. That's right. Okay, great. Now, tell us about it. Okay, great. The the when Ethan when it was time for Ethan to go to school, and I was doing a lot of research at home, <clears throat> and when it's time for Ethan to go to school, um, I decided that I was gonna I was gonna buy a school, and I bought a, an existing school. Which is what most parents think. What's that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very very ambitious of you, Stan, but it doesn't surprise me knowing how ambitious you are. So keep going. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, I was already I was already in the mindset of kids. So where where's okay, getting out good. of school? Keep going. So. Um, so, uh, and then we turned it into what it is. It, the, the fascinating thing that I learned almost right away was that the symptoms that we saw in Ethan, we were seeing little symptoms here and there in a lot of the kids in the school. You were seeing a lot of chronic illness. You were seeing, um, you know, persistent runny noses, red cheeks, white tongue, a lot of the symptoms that Ethan had, uh, you know, that his biological, you know, there were biological issues going on that needed attention. So kids with fungal issues, with food allergies, um, all the things that we look at as a whole in autism, because it's so multifactorial, independently was showing up in all these different kids. And, and that's when I learned that, okay, there's the reason why that I was meant to get into this, was that 
all these kids are delayed to some degree with if they have chronic illness. They can't focus as well. They can't perform as well. Um, they, you know, they just don't have the reserves that, that other kids have. They get sick more often. They're, they have to use antibiotics more. Um, they're out of school because they went to the doctors. They have fevers more often. We had five kids, which at the time was 10% of our community, that were on asthma inhalers, and my kids were ages two through five. It was insane. And today, I don't have anybody on inhalers. I very rarely see antibiotics come through the school anymore. Um, and the kids are just much healthier. And now I get, I get referrals from regional center for kids that were thrown out of other schools for being hyper. I've got um, this little two-year-old whose video is on the Recovery Videos website. His name's Jonathan. He came to us. He bit kids every single day. Two-year-old, aggressive biter. They were going to put him on Ritalin. All we did is identify what his food, food allergy issues were. And, and we have a chef on, on, on staff, full-time chef, that just cooks individual meals for the kids based on what foods are good for that child. And it's interesting that we care so much about child development and, and we care so much about education in schools, but we care so little about health and we just say that doctors should handle it. And it's, it's, it's wrong to think like that because okay. doctors are trained, for the most part, about crisis intervention. If you have an infection, if you break an arm, if something pokes your eye, they're, they're not coaches for health. And I think as a school, the next generation of schools will take on the responsibility of trying to educate the parents about how to get your kids more healthy using natural ways and, uh, and, and, and using diet as a way to help children flourish rather than something you give kids because they're hungry or it's time to eat. And, um, and so our school really has an individualized approach based on this specific child and what their specific needs are. And, you know, we, we've kids that, that come in with, with asthma inhalers that are off inhalers. You know, that, that we've kids that, that come in that have um, persistent, you know, viral infections, you know, the, the, the throat infection or ear infections. And once you get them a little healthier, just a little healthier, all this stuff tends to go away. So, it, so the school itself is, is a wonderful curriculum. Um, it's inclusive with children that are that are very affected. So we have some children with autism. We have some children with ADHD uh, and other types of neurological issues. And we also have typical, quote-unquote, typical kids in there. And then before, you know, I didn't even realize it, but 50% of the school approximately was affected with some sort of chronic issue. And that's where all these recovery videos came from. And then the parents were coming in with these same things. And they, and they, once they saw their kid doing a little better, like Jonathan, it took us less than a week, and he never bit again. He's been with me a year and a half, has not bitten again. And it wasn't a behavioral thing we had to do. It was just taking out foods that are common allergies and seeing if he improved, and he did. Uh, and so we've sort of developed a process of how to, you know, where to start and how to try to reintroduce foods. But a lot of it is just based on common sense. We're not doing anything that, that I think is rocket science. We're just feeding kids that, healthy food that we know doesn't disrupt the immune system, that doesn't feed fungus and bacteria based on the, the, the literature, the medical literature, the research that's out there. So, uh, but, you know, it's interesting, you know, the, the healthy food term, the term healthy food, Parents still think cracker and cheese is healthy food. <laughs> or milk is healthy. Right. Ah. So, so when, when, that's an important message we need to get out to the listeners right now. When we're talking healthy, we're talking vegetables, we're ta- organic vegetables, we're talking huh? fruit, we're talking nice cuts of meat, we're talking everything about water. It's not about, um, you know, the, um, having to 
fill our children with juice for every single time that they, they drink something. That's right. But it's, and even the water we choose, because we're programmed that spring water is good. And spring water is, you know, we used to drink out of wells right. you know, when I was growing up. And we stopped that, and we moved to, you know, to city water, and then you moved to, to spring water. But then if you look at the EPA, you know, I did research on water because my son was showing up with high amounts of uranium, which eventually I figured out was actually coming from the California water supply. Um, water, spring water, is, is well water. If you look at the definition, it's bored from a groundwater aquifer, mm-hmm. almost no different than well water. It just happens to be a well that's on a mountain or a well that's in a different country. But guess what? The world is toxic, and heavy metals it's, are in commonly in spring water. And yeah. the, the definition of spring is you bore it, you drill it, you put it out, you put it in a bottle at the source. Yeah. You can't adjust yeah. it, you can't filter it, you can't purify it. I, I, I'm right there with you. Okay, we, we're, we have to close up the show, which brings me a lot of sadness because, Stan, I could talk to you forever. Uh, first off, I want to thank you because you're an amazing person. You provide a lot of education, and I am proud to know you. And um, Well, now I have your phone number, so I'll call you all the time. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I appreciate um, you being on the show today. The, I want people to know how to get a hold of Stan. Once again, um, he has, you can go to www.recoveryvideos.com. And then the school stand again, can you give that web address again? Sure, it's childrenscornerschool.com. Great. Thank you, everybody who's listening. Uh, once again, thank you again to Sensory Learning Center in Lebanon, Ohio. Next week's show, we have Rob Oker. He is a guidance counselor. Speaking of schools, this really goes right along the lines. Rob is a guidance counselor who really wants to work with family dynamics to get families working together as teams again. And empower children to feel good about their values and such. So we're going to be talking with Rob Oker next week. Thank you, everybody. Thanks again to Stan. We will be talking to you soon. Bye-bye. The Sensory Learning Center would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Betsy or get more information, visit autismone.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks.